Hello, podcast friends. One of the things I love most about doing this podcast is I get to spend time with and really tune into some amazing people. Thomas Hubel is one of them. Thomas is a contemporary spiritual teacher, sometimes referred to as a modern mystic. His teaching combines somatic awareness, advanced meditation, and transformational practices that address both individual and collective trauma. I was introduced to him through my friend and colleague, Amy Fox, and affiliation with Mobius Executive Leadership. Uh, He was working with a bunch of us organizational consulting types, bringing the wisdom traditions to the world of work. I also participated in the online course he created with celebrated negotiation expert William Urey, Meditate and Mediate. Thomas's presence is incredibly light, smart, and deep, and always seems to elicit in me an inner smile. He's never afraid to tackle the difficult stuff and does it by listening, as he says, with eyes all over his body. It's a whole body listening practice I've adopted from him. In the short time I've known him, I have seen his visibility grow rapidly around the globe. He's a master with building community, managing projection, and his own authority in groups, somatics, epigenetics, and the specific topic of this podcast, Healing Collective Trauma. As my listeners know, I started this podcast because we have what I call a process crisis in the world. We use too much win-lose, debate-based processes to deal with our differences, and the media just loves it. Win-lose processes are certainly better than use of force, but because they are win-lose, they can lead to use of force quickly, as we can see from looking around the globe. They are not relational, they are patriarchal in origin, and they dumb us humans down in terms of how incredibly capable we are of managing complexity and building common ground together, given the right container and good facilitation. I wanted to interview Thomas because of the large group processes he has designed for up to a thousand people at a time to heal collective trauma. This kind of work, it truly excites me. As Thomas says, we have all been born into a collectively traumatized field and collective trauma needs collective healing. While I've never personally experienced one of Thomas's large group processes, I can tell how amazing they are because of how many large group processes I have led and participated in. He started this work about 15 years ago under the banner of what he calls the Pocket Project and has brought together thousands of Germans and Israelis to acknowledge, face, and heal the cultural shadow left by the Holocaust. He's then gone on to do processes in other parts of the world, addressing the various uh, scars of humanity that exist everywhere. Throughout the interview, we will touch on patriarchy as a collective trauma, the thousands of years patriarchal structures have been in place, their connection to war, the women's Holocaust in Europe where millions were burnt at the stake for practicing witchcraft, the challenges for women to release our codependent conditioning and step fully into our leadership and power. Yes, Thomas agrees, Me Too was a trauma eruption. I'm left with a desire to create a large group process with him to address it. It's the core trauma, I believe, of all the other traumas of domination. So without further ado, it is my great pleasure to bring you Thomas Hubel. So, Thomas, it's really um, incredible pleasure to have you. I mean, I 
I've known you now for a couple of years. I don't know you that well, but I uh, find your presence to be just so incredibly light and smart and deep. And you're, you're not afraid to tackle the difficult stuff. And the, yet you do it in such an incredibly light and beautiful way. So thank you for joining us on the Peace Building Podcast and being part of this conversation. Thank you, Susan, for having me. <laughs> yeah, I think you probably, uh, you, you know, I'm going to put your bio on the website so you don't need to say too much. But, uh, and I'm sure you answer this question all the time. Well, let me ask you this way, because I ask all my guests this question is, uh, what do you think? I don't know if you relate to the term peace builder, but if you do, you're shaking your head, yes. Um, what do you think planted the seeds in you? to be somebody that cared about focusing on building a more peaceful planet? I think uh, there are multiple, maybe there are multiple levels in my life that led up to maybe the peace builder in me. I think one was that um, when I was 16, I started to work as a volunteer for the Red Cross. And I uh, became a paramedic. And then when I was, you know, I studied medicine at first. And then I... Um, Where did you grow up, Thomas? In Austria? or In, in Austria, Vienna. In Austria. Austria Vienna, yeah. 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 And okay. so I, I believe, like, I put a lot of volunteer work in, in my service at the Red Cross. So I really loved it. And, and then when I had to decide to... Uh, do military service so I, I refused to do military service and I said okay that's not congruent with how I see health and society and my work for the Red Cross I think that was one uh, definitely one aspect and then when I was 19 I had suddenly the, the strong feeling to meditate every day and I didn't know much about meditation but I had a very strong inner calling to be quiet for a certain time every day. And I did it every day. And and I believe that gave me some inner dimension of peace over time that was significant. And when I was 26, I left actually my medical studies and I went on a four-year meditation retreat. And What did um, your parents say? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think my parents were uh, not amused. <laughs> oh, my beautiful son. He's going to be a doctor and now he's going off to meditate. Yeah, right, to meditate. What are you doing? And I said, you know, I don't know, but I'm studying. I'm studying something else. And I'm studying what I, today I would call it mystical studies. Or I, I had a deep learning process within these four years. And it was a tremendously important time of my life. And I think that the meditation process is a whole science. I mean, it's, it's much bigger than being quiet uh, once a day for half an hour, an hour, hour. but it taught me a were, lot. Were you depressed or were you just with the call? I don't know. How did you hear the calling? You just, uh, or were you just, an, uh, were you overwhelmed by the state of the planet? Uh, no. I, none. No, it wasn't. None of the above. No, none of the above. I loved medicine and I loved, uh, you know, I was on the track to, you know, do emergency medicine. I, I wasn't like, it was more like an inner calling to, I felt uh, like, yeah, something pulled me 
like I, I, I knew at the time that I need to be quiet and detox my inner world for some time in order to be more synchronized with what's my calling in the world. And that actually turned out to be true because after these four or four and a half years, um, another like a spiritual teacher that came to town uh, saw me and then said some things about me. And then people started to invite me to do workshops. So after being four or four and a half years in a very quiet uh, space and most of the time kind of somewhere in the countryside, my life turned around and it, I, I started to travel all around the world. This was, I think, 18 years ago. And uh, in a way, my current work, like also my, my process work, we developed a whole track of human facilitation, like process work. And then pretty soon, after two years or so of my groups that grew pretty fast, I start seeing this what today I call collective trauma eruptions in my group because they happen mainly in Germany at the beginning or the German-speaking part of Europe. And then later on, I now currently I'm living in Israel. And, um, and we did a lot of work afterwards in between for like the Holocaust integration and between Germany and Israel and the Jewish people. So, so, so let me back you up for a second, just because, and I know you answer this question a lot, but just preliminarily, could you give a simple answer of the word trauma and a simple answer of the word collective trauma? What do you mean by those? Yeah. Things? Trauma is what happens in our nervous system or in our bodies and psyches when we are in overwhelming, strongly overwhelming situations, which means that we go into a state of hyperactivation or tremendous stress. And at the same time, the nervous system, in my understanding, has the ability to fragment that uh, one part of, like there is a kind of a separate... The same as dis disassociation? Is that the same idea? Right, or? right, the disassociation. Like the way I would describe it is, imagine you have a big screen in your living room, a TV screen, and you see a crazy scenery and it's very noisy. And then you take the remote control and you mute the scene. So then you see still the crazy scene, but without noise. And then you take the TV and you throw it into the ocean. And for some time, you still see the crazy scenery and it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. And then it disappears uh, in the depth of the ocean. It's still going on, but you don't see it anymore. Mm -hmm. So the, in the trauma area in our nervous system, the strong overwhelm or pain or tension or whatever is happening there is still happening there, but without our awareness. So the subject, the me, like I, or the culture is not anymore aware of the tremendous pain that drowned in the ocean of individual or collective unconscious. And so I, when I saw this in my groups, I suddenly saw, wow, like 50 people at once started to cry, had so horrible images from the Holocaust, the Second World War. And so, and it ha didn't happen only once, it happened almost in every group I ran. What were the demographics, if you could say, like the ethnicity, the identity group? No, it was mostly Europeans, like Germans, Austrians, and um, definitely, let's say, 70% women. Mm -hmm. well-educated, um, 
interested in inner development, consciousness, uh, spirituality, um, people that did some therapy already, many of them. I attracted mainly people that already had some, like were more senior in their own inner contemplative practice. But what I learned through it is that like I, I got to understand through many groups and many processes that we did. And then later on, we also worked on different uh, collective trauma fields like colonialism, racism in the US and uh, dictatorships or whatever, Spain, Catalonia, and um, different scars. And there are enough around the world. And so I believe that a, a deep part of peace building is actually like raising our understanding that fragmentation that is unconscious always creates symptoms on the surface of life that we cannot just fix by trying to apply good ideas. We have to take care of the underlying fragmentation because it keeps on recreating itself again and again on the surface. And that's why I believe many programs that are well-intended, many ideas that are good, are being like put like patches on such fragmented fields will actually not really work and will burn a lot of energy. Many people might be burned out, frustrated, and uh, lose their motivation because the underlying fragmentation is too strong and it recreates fractures and uh, symptoms, social symptoms, individual symptoms. And we, I think, we need to learn how to take care of all the TVs, the collective TV ocean that is unseen. And, and not to forget, all of us have been born into a collectively traumatized field. That's very important because sometimes, of course, we know that uh, intellectually we, we know that, but it's very hard in our felt experience to represent it in ourselves. And that's why I think often it's, we lose track of what that actually means for our daily experience. So let me jump into um, myself, just using myself as instrument here in my own journey. But I, and of course, many of the women, and I'm, I'm moving into the, the topic of women and the collective trauma of women because it's, oh gosh, I don't know, you know, it's, it's heavy. <laughs> and it's been going on for so many thousands of years. And right. for myself, my path out of it, not that I'm out of it, but but I'm out of it to a great degree, has been one of of really releasing the trauma from my body. It's been an embodied experience because, and I, I'm not going to focus on whether it's true for men too, because it gets too confusing actually, But but so much of for women, so much of the trauma is that our it happens with our bodies, and it's and it's a global phenomenon. I think what's interesting compared to other tribes is that oh, we're obviously from different tribes, but we are so the same in so many regards. Like I've been in such large groups of women from around the world, and so many of our issues of shame, of codependency, of of fear, because of patriarchal structures, I don't know if you use that word patriarchy, but, you know, I think we have so much fear in our bodies from the ways that we have 
been controlled and allowed ourselves to be controlled over the last however long patriarchy. I mean, I use that term patriarchy as just like rule of the father, whatever. But it's it's uh, most countries on earth still have are predominantly using patriarchal structures. So it's a very large phenomenon. And so many women are so bought into it still. That was just one of the problems, you know, of, of how much it still lives in us. But um, but I I guess what's interesting for me is that it's not a mind thing. I don't feel like I've got, I've, I mean, concepts are useful, but really it's been a process for myself and watching other women. It's really been a process of reintegration with our bodies. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm curious to know what you, like, I'm wondering if you think, do you think that Me Too is a trauma eruption? <laughs> definitely. I mean, definitely a lot of, I think our time in general is like, is a time where we speed up the surfacing of all kinds of collective trauma material. Hmm. And that's why so many people feel stressed, feel overloaded, feel, you know, frustrated, uh, addicted. Like there are so many things that, that I think get bigger because the tremendous amount of information that flows through us, both technologically and spiritually, is um, creating much more pressure on internal individual and collective trauma structures. So in a way, yes, I think it's it's an attempt. But when symptoms show up, I believe when we use the word trauma, many people think of it as something negative. And I'm not talking about the experience that we go through. Of course, these are usually painful experiences. But the trauma response in our nervous system that's the thing that we are working on later through our bodies, our emotions, our relations. That's a very intelligent attempt of life that I believe grew over thousands and thousands of years, how to survive better in a situation of big overwhelm. I think that's an evolutionary achievement. The only thing is we are often taking care of the after effects way too late, sometimes even generations later. And I think that's the issue. But it keeps us, and, you know, so like I'm thinking of the what's referred to sometimes as the woman's Holocaust, you know, in Europe in the, I think, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, you know, like something like three to five million women were tortured, burned at the stake because they were, it was the, the quote unquote, holy inquisition of the, you know, the Catholic Church. And right. I think that. I know for myself and for many women that I talk to, sometimes I think we feel that we still, that lives in our bodies on some level. We remember that. And that fear, I think, keeps a lot of, not just of that, but of, I mean, my interest, Thomas, is really inspiring women to step into our leadership, our divinity, our full radiance, our moving beyond shame, because the shame has been so, I think, it's so pervasive, really, if you start scratching the surface with women around the globe, you know. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm just um, super interested in getting some insight into how to move beyond all that. Right. You know, how to and, and that's why I said what I said before, because I believe, first of all, we need a change of our relation to the internal process that we call trauma. 
And I, I say again, the definition of trauma is not the experience that we went through. It's what happened in us in relation to that outer or external experience. So what is actually our internal experience of being... You mean like the shutdown or the or the disassociation? That? All of it. The shutdown, the mm-hmm. dissociation, the numbing, the disembodiment, the mm-hmm. emotional uh, overwhelm and what happens in our emotional and hormone systems and, mm-hmm. and so on. And in our relational networks and in our societies. So that once we reframe that internal process, what seems to be a weakness is not a weakness. What seems to be a weakness is a kind of inner, internal, heroic function that made totally sense for a five-year-old child, that made totally sense for a 12-year-old girl when she went through a difficult phase, but looks like a weakness or a difficulty in the grown-up's world or in a grown-up's life. So because I believe in the, in the integration process, we already approach our own internal process with a lot of self-criticism, with a lot of um, dissociation from the intelligence that those regulation functions or defense mechanisms in us are. So that's why the reframing is actually a inducing curiosity and and the willingness to explore that I'm actually exploring my intelligence and the intelligence of the ancestors that we where we might carry uh, still the tendencies of what our ancestors went through, as you said, as fears, as shame, as as kind of low self-esteem, as as ways of relating. To, to men, to other, uh, like to in, within social structures. But I believe the first that I see that is very healing is a different understanding of what life is trying to do. And what life is trying to do is to heal itself. Symptoms are here for us to recognize something that we don't understand fully usually when we see them. So I have fears that have nothing to do with the current moment, but they feel totally real. They feel real enough for me to make decisions that are fear-informed and not intuition-informed. I, I might not feel my body because when I feel my body, I encounter a lot of shame or fear or anger. So those functions are defense mechanisms that are very intelligent at the level when they arose. Yeah. And of course, they look kind of uh, dysfunctional today in my life and that's why i said before when we when we want to explore symptoms we are exploring intelligent processes not problems although they often feel that way and i think that's a a reframing in the way we look at ourselves which make many internal processes more accessible a little bit like, uh, you know, I know you know Terry Real, and he said to say hello, by the way. Uh, th- a little bit of the, the wounded, you know, wounded child to adaptive child to functional adult. You know that model, that way of thinking? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sort of sounds like you're saying that about uh, that in some ways, trauma is a very intelligent function like the adaptive child that protected us but it doesn't serve us really as evolved human beings, men and women, queer identified, whatever we might be, it doesn't serve us anymore. Mm -hmm. 
and and the, right and and the next thing is that you see the trauma i think always causes a desynchronization of my mind my emotions my body and my relational capacity which means that what i feel or not feel in my body in my emotions and the way i think and speak is often not fully synchronized and so whenever I meet the trauma area in myself, often I have all kinds of explanations and concepts and mental ideas and mental defense functions. And you said something very important, that your own healing process really went through the body. And I believe trauma healing needs to happen through the body. And in many cases, it needs to happen in relation, not alone. It's very hard to heal oneself alone. and Often, trying to do it alone is already a symptom of the traumatization itself because trauma mm -hmm. happens usually through inappropriate relation. And that's why we try to not get into that same thing again. So we try more on our own. But that's exactly what's not serving us often because we need healthy relation or healthy community in order to create environments where we can really heal together and serve each other in that healing process. I want to tell you something. I, I've been uh, really blessed to be part of a, a women's community, the ground zero of which is New York City. Um, uh, it sort of evolved around something called Mama Gina's School of Womanly Arts. And it has been an amazing trauma release kind of community. And what's interesting about I mean, there are many things that are interesting about it, but uh, and she's not doing those programs right now, but um, being in a room of 900 women who are releasing anger, grief, and then what's really super interesting, because I think Audre Lorde, who is an African-American theorist who's no longer with us, who said something like about, talked a lot about the erotic power of women and how much that's such an incredible incredibly important source of our power. It was really interesting in that community is watching women release anger, release grief, and then turn it on <laughs> and then connect to the erotic and how empowering that is. Uh, because I think so much of the shame really has been the way our bodies have been controlled for reproduction and, uh, I mean, and then, and shamed and uh, whatever. But it's, I guess, uh, as a trauma healing, I think what has been interesting is watching how that had to happen in community and it had to happen. Uh, yeah. Just the power of doing, doing that kind of thing with large numbers of people and seeing there was one moment when 900 women erupted into this chant of no more crumbs, no more, <laughs> you know, but, but kind of getting their own sense of like seeing their own, not as, not as big angry victims, because of course many people go there when they, everybody likes to feel like the victim, but as uh, getting more empowered and getting more connected to their strength, right. our strength. Right. And, um, and, and, uh, and that's why I think that's one example of, of communities where we come together and we create really a network or a, a kind of a collective field where we can heal together. And I believe that that's also something that is deeply rooted in the wisdom traditions. Like, um, there is the scene of the Hebraic people on Mount Sinai, and then the voice of God appears, not uh, to 
Moses, like to one person, but to the community. And there's kind of like a group awakening. And one of the very important aspects of that is also that everybody afterwards said, like, God spoke to me personally, directly to me, to my life. Mm -hmm. So God hasn't been heard as a as an abstract voice, there's something abstract that uh, is true for everybody. No, it was everybody felt personally seen and personally spoken to. And I think that's a beautiful example for that the most unique you is the deepest aspect of the most non-dual or unified or interconnected uh, reality. And that the most universal principle is reflected in the most uh, uniqueness, in the most unique aspect. And that means that when we, when we really support each other in our agency, in our like, deep healing process that is different for everybody, but we share in communities like similar issues, similar topics, and that's a self-reinforcing field. And, and I have seen like groups with hundreds and hundreds of people where there was such a group presence when one person spoke mm -hmm. that you, you can feel hundreds of people sharing the experience of one person through attunement, through presencing, mm -hmm. through feeling, through feeling connected. And that's a tremendous healing uh, tool. Like mm -hmm. groups, when they're uh, with the right ingredients, and when it's well lit, is this is an amazing resource. And so, if you hope that that there can be faster healing, right? Uh, can I ask you from a mystical perspective? You know, some people would say, and you may or may not. I don't know how you see this. You know that whatever the feminine principles, I think really, uh, really did sort of get uh, suppressed by patriarchy over whatever period of time and now they seem many people would say and and were perceived as kind of demonic um and then and the masculine kind of overtook things and many people would refer to that as some of the problems of what's going on with climate change that the masculine and the feminine principles are out of whack and uh that we need to rebalance these principles and i'm i'm curious how you see this as a as a modern mystic spiritual teacher, how this looks to you? Yeah, I think it's it's complex. I think that there are multiple factors that are important. But what I truly agree to, and I think is is very important, is that the traumatization that sits in our bodies, like we can compare it as fields of absence or the architecture of absence. Mm. That's where we are numb, where we are dissociated, where we are not in touch, we don't feel life. And often we use the thinking to bridge what we cannot feel. And so there's kind of not only this, the natural scientific and rational evolution, which is great, but if we use that as a bypass to overcome our difficulties, because. Um, with life that we can't feel because many situations when we can't feel it and we say, Oh, should I do this or that? Is this the right thing or that the right thing? So then this kind of mental polarization kind of covers up the inner inability to relate. And in a way we can, 
like the embodiment, the embodiment quality is often kind of um, seen as a as the, the the feminine aspect of life, mm-hmm. and so in a way we could say that the body of the world is hurt and has big scars, mm-hmm. and that is, I believe, one of the root sources of climate change, and why? Because the way we deal with life, the way we care for life, the way we are compassionate, the way we love, the way we kind of are able to represent outer circumstances within our inner world gets reduced through those fields of absence. And so when I'm, when I'm naturally in tune with a child, so then I naturally from inside out know how to be with the child because we did this for thousands of years. It's like it's so deeply rooted in our being. But when that process is hurt and I don't feel my child at times, especially when I get triggered, so then, then I say, oh, it's a difficult moment. But the difficult moment shows like points towards a scar. And I believe that our capacity as a culture like the collective competence building of dealing with these cars and have a basic trauma-informed knowledge should be part of our kind of collective competence. And so we could say that one of the hurt parts is that, and we hear this very often when people say, oh, human beings are on the planet. Not human beings are the planet. We are part of the planet. You know, that's my, the water and the carbon in my body is the planet. It is the substance of the planet. Mm-hmm. So that dissociated or disembodied quality, we could say is also, and it's not only in women, but it's the hurt feminine principle, the embodiment principle that is, that is happening in men and women both ways. Mm-hmm. But the degree of disembodiment in our world, I believe, is much higher then we sometimes might assume when we look at people and they look, everybody looks like having a body. But the, the way we inhabit that body, the way we are conscious within it, the way we can feel it, the nervous system is open, pulsing, has a healthy rhythm. Uh, you know, all this, the, the emotional expression is fluid and uh, the, the regulation between inside and outside is fluid. There are many aspects that are often hurt and I think this leads, we experience this as a lot of individual and collective suffering. And I believe that there is a, a rising quality in, in our world that the feminine empowerment is a very, very important process at the moment that I think is, is crucial for a balancing in the world. And also that um, the deeper embodiment is the balancing of our of our spiritual of spirit or spiritual force mm-hmm. and the, we often say in the mystical traditions we say that every energy every intelligence needs a cup every water flow we need a pipe system in our house because if the water doesn't have an appropriate pipe system it spills all over and all the house starts to get rotten because too much energy without an appropriate structure 
and without an appropriate pipe system is kind of overwhelming and burning the system. And I see, I, I think we see in the world that global warming is such a burning of, of the system. And it's also, it's also that then, for example, our food production system, many systems, when we don't feel ourselves, we start to do things that are not in tune with nature with life we don't because we 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 often don't feel nature and especially in in big cities and the lifestyles that we live we might get more and more disconnected through the trauma and the following lifestyle from nature so the caring and the felt experience and the wisdom that comes through felt experience is often reduced and if that happens on a collective level we create systems that are simply out what, what I would call out of alignment it's one of the reasons that I I moved here with my ex-husband the same year that I live in a, in a rural place. I live very connected. I have a community of, of, of beings out there, you know, like they're, they're deer and, and, uh, and a lot of different raptors and all kinds of wildlife and bear. And, but we moved here the same year that the planet became more urban than, than rural. And, uh, and I run an Airbnb out of my house in addition to my consulting practice. And I feel like sometimes what I'm doing is I'm actually being a nature translator to people who are starved, really starved for, they come here because they really want to connect to the natural world. And um, mm -hmm. I have a question for you, Thomas. Um, well, it's, it has to do with authority in groups. And you're working with a lot of very large groups. And a lot of your groups are women. I mean, there's a, a probably, I don't know what the, demographics are. But in the ones that I've been around, I know many, probably more than 50% are women. And right. and so for those who don't know you, uh, listeners, Thomas is a really good looking dude. And uh, <laughs> and he's, he's going to like, whatever. Um, I'm going to embarrass him now, maybe if I can. But um, and this happens with, I don't know, anybody in authority. Um, but in the case of you with your constituency, how do you navigate the, you know, people deferring to you? Um, you know, how do you navigate making sure that you are there for their evolution and not enabling their codependence? Right. Um, if you follow me. Yeah, you that's know? why. It's, that's um, why I often say that um, we need a combination of the East and the West. We need a combination of the mystical and the scientific. We need a like a dialogue of what it means to to have a deep contemplative practice, to have a deep wisdom practice in life that connects us deeper and deeper to our source, our roots, our deep roots inside and the source of the universe. But at the same time, that we create a, a path that is not bypassing our worldly difficulties. And that means we need to have a path that uh, is developmentally informed and that can that we can detect, feel, make visible and allow to heal and integrate the regressive parts of ourselves. Because codependency only arises in the younger part of who we are. It doesn't arise in the mature version of me or you or anybody. Mm -hmm. Because there we are grown-ups learning together and learning from each other in, in different competences. And we can bow 
in front of each other because you have competencies that I don't have and maybe I have competencies that you don't have and then maybe we can learn from each other. And as, I think as long as we know how the water flows down the mountain and where I bow down and where I pass things on, um, that creates like a healthy flow of intelligence within the social body. And where that doesn't work, and that's also why democracy, I, I believe, is being challenged, is where the regressive parts, where my emotional experience is not as old as my passport says that I am. So if there's an, a, a disynchronization of my inner world, and we know this when we have relationship arguments, when we have similar issues come back again and again and again, and when we get triggered, at work, at home, with our children, with society, with politics. So then, then we see, yeah, I'm not responding. I'm not able to respond, which means I'm not responsible. I'm not able to respond. I'm reactive. And when I'm reactive, I'm kind of reacting from a younger place inside. And the younger I am, the more I project stuff outwards onto other people, onto situations, and so on. Mm. And I believe every skilled group facilitator needs to have a proper skill set of how to identify all the mechanisms, how those younger aspects play out, and how we can see that as part of the process, but be a support in its integration process. And I think that needs that's only possible from a place that is emotionally mature. Because every mature. Uh -huh. Mature, yeah. Because every where I'm grown up emotionally, I will not get entangled or engage in regressive processes or young processes or codependencies. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. But where my own experience is unconscious or young, then there is a possibility. So that's why I often say to all the therapists and facilitators that we train or supervise that our own supervision, our own intervision as group facilitators is super important because if we run into unconscious zones, we need to have that's responsible. If, if somebody cannot respond, we need to have somebody in our life that can help us to learn to respond, that's responsible. Mm -hmm. So to be part of a community, to be open to feedback, to be part of intervision or supervision is critical for anybody who runs groups in order to keep one's own evolution going and to minimize at least the potential for any kind of entanglement. And I think for people that really commit to that and that also have people in their life that would point those things out. So if I, if I create kind of a network around myself that will reflect those things back to me, so then I believe it's a responsible way to run groups. And I think every facilitator needs to have such a support system. We cannot do it alone and we are not meant to do it alone. And I think that's a sign of trustworthiness. And then taking it back to the whole large social system, you know, Kurt Lewin, the grandfather of social psychology, said something like, um, 
everyone understands authority, but democracy is a learned behavior. <laughs> I love that quote, you know, particularly uh, looking at what seems like a lot of regressive behavior at the moment. Um, Thomas, going back to collective trauma, you know, I, you you spoke to this, but this is the Peace Building Podcast, and you have done some really powerful interventions around collective trauma. And um, because a lot of what we're interested in the podcast is like the how, how do you move forward? How do you, what are the kind of interventions that make sense? And so I guess I'm wanting you to speak again, why is healing, if you could summarize, why is healing collective trauma so critical to creating a more peaceful planet? Yeah. Yeah, because ultimately, I believe every conflict is based on hidden trauma and separation. Because one of the the, the, the most basic trauma symptoms is separation, or our separation, isolation, and distancing or othering. Mm. So many conflicts arise out of separation, othering, distancing, and isolation. And many of the conflicts that we see in the world are actually wounds that break open again, wounds that show up again in different forms, but that were there before. Mm. Also in my work with William Urey, um, that many people might know, it's like that <laughs> we ran a course together that was called Meditate and Mediate. Mm. So it's actually only one letter difference. And both words, in a way, mean that I'm willing to sit in the middle of. When I meditate and when I mediate, I need to give myself fully to the process and be willing to sit in the middle of a conflict, to sit in the middle of whatever is my internal world and process and experience right now. And that contemplative quality creates a bigger perspective. So I believe one element that we need in order to do collective trauma healing is the cultivation of what William calls the balcony, what I would call witnessing consciousness or some transpersonal perspective that is at least there to some extent that I can go into an internal place of perspective and witnessing and I'm not fully entangled in the process without being dissociated. Detaching with love, as they say in the 12-step world, yeah, think, right. is right. a similar kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that I'm able to host and witness structures of consciousness while I'm still able to feel them. Mm -hmm. So that I can feel our relation right now. And I can also witness the process of feeling our relation. So there's internal space. There's an internal calm. There's an internal kind of openness that allows that the perception of my senses will be witnessed. When we are triggered, we are often sucked into things. And I think conflicts are very strong versions of that kind of deep identification with the pain and the righteousness and the aggression and whatever, all the things that we know. Um, and so the other part of healing collective trauma is I believe collective trauma needs a collective healing. And I have seen that groups of people, when, when many people are coming together in order to take care of some of the legacy that we are living in, there are many viewpoints that create a field of complexity. 
So if there are hundreds of people in a the room, there are hundreds of perspectives, they create a very complex field. If we put in spices like attunement, appropriate relation, compassion, really feeling each other, presencing, different aspects like spices or herbs. So then we create a, a kind of a more coherent field. And that coherent field, I believe, has the power to surface undigested material that is part of that given culture, but unconsciously. So a collective body can digest part of the collective past. And so we developed a process that uh, we call CTIP, is like a collective trauma integration process, where we can lead people. And I saw this many, many times with different, whatever collective trauma backgrounds, that groups go through similar processes, how we digest together bigger chunks of, of trauma material than one person alone. Could you give a specific example without going, you know, I don't know, it's, I don't know if you can do it in a contained way, but a specific thing that, I guess you did this through the Pro Pocket Project? Is right. That... We did this at first with this uh, 15 years ago when it started with these processes in my groups, and then we did it with large-scale process work with up to 1,000 people, and then we did it, we did a training for it, and we, we did it in different countries. But what we do is we bring groups together and from a certain level of relational coherence in the room and willingness of the people to really look at something. Usually, first a collective denial comes up because that material is suppressed. Then a collective release comes up. And then we can listen to different levels of voices that come up, what people share in the groups. So there are different categories of voices that we identified that express different aspects of the collective trauma that we are looking at. So it shows us like as if people become the voice of the collective field. And when we listen to it carefully and we support the voices that, that hold a lot of energy, so that are very concentrated, so the, the group healing process gets amplified. So you had like Germans and Jews. I mean, of course, Germans could be Jews, but you had non-Jewish Germans and, and Jewish Germans in large groups. Is that uh, dealing with the Holocaust? Is that yeah, or we had people come to Israel or people from Israel come to Germany. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then we looked at similar things with uh, whatever in Latin America, with colonialism between Europe and Latin America, or like or racism in the U.S. And so that we allow through that kind of group synchronization um, information to surface, like a little bit when you see in some of the movies when you see people look onto the water surface and then they see hidden information or the future information on the water reflected. In a way, a group becomes like such a magic pool. And when we listen to it together and we slow down the pace enough to stay present to whatever arises, it becomes a very present, non-blaming, 
it's a, it's a very interesting process that starts to emerge mm-hmm. and it emerges by itself. It's not that we tell a group, okay, now do this and now do that and now do that. It's something that seems to emerge when the right ingredients are in the room. Right. And I believe that that's, that's an, uh, an interesting phenomenon to learn from the process directly about the cultural shadow. And as we do it, we also integrate a part of it. Because I've seen people go through it two or three times, for example, in Germany with the Second World War. And in, at the second time already, the person was much less affected and much more present and also much more, in a way, available for other people's processes. So you could really see that going through it once is like a chimney cleaning. And then your chimney is simply cleaner and you can be more present to other people going through their own version of the process and it it's that capacity grows yeah beautiful hmm. yeah that happens i mean it's very much my gestalt i have been heavily gestalt trained that idea of building awareness the more you the more you're aware of the what is the more the system changes and it sounds like you're creating a container where you're allowing people really to be become aware of all the phenomenon that are connected to that particular trauma and then people get cleaned out (laughs) (laughs) or whatever you yeah something like that that's right yeah Yeah, that's right and and i believe those processes even if it's yet hard to scientifically evaluate we we cannot say easily okay if now a group of thousand people go through such a process uh what's going to be the effect on the country or the society or it's hard to to measure those things now I think we will develop over time methods how to to measure this better. But I think if we, it's like an acupuncture needle. We put acupuncture needles into the collective body in different places around the world, and people will be more and more interested to, in a way that we together, all of us, start to take care of our common life base, of our history, the unintegrated history we have been born into, the tendencies that. We see already now scientifically more and more how epigenetic changes really affect our life and how trauma is encoded in in the epigenetic environment. And so I believe we see more and more how also collective trauma affects our health. It affects the way, you know, I, I relate and feel my body, how much stress that is living in me that I'm not aware of at first. And then more and more, I, I detox that stress. I become more whole. I become more connected to my environment. So there is a, a healing process going on that also has a positive effect on, on my literal physical health. I, I grew an inch when I did all this work, uh, this body work. I, I literally, I, I couldn't believe it. I went to three different doctors and they kept telling me, you're five foot eight. I said, I'm five foot seven. <laughs> no, I had actually grown an inch. It was like, whoa. So uh, we're coming to the end of our time. And I um, I guess for women to refer back to that, I mean, I think what I'm taking from what you're saying is uh, is really the importance of awareness the importance of building awareness so that things for each individual and then the, for, for the collective whole can shift. Yeah, um, I, I would say that that's true. And that also means, like what we spoke about before, that the deeper embodiment and the embodied presence is actually filling the holes within our own 
embodied experience. And that makes us naturally be more present, be more felt and seen in the room, be more recognized in our natural authority, have healthy boundaries, be like fluid and engaged in moment to moment to moment experience. Mm. And so I believe the training that when we get more embodied and we see what, what you said at the beginning, that there's a, a mental, emotional, physical, and also relational healing process happening that really grounds us in a different way. So that that we need to work on those things through our body, and which is not only body work, but it's it's a deep opening of the way we are plugged in to life. And I think that's that's important. And then um, I believe we we see another. And maybe that's what you referred to before with patriarchy, that we are through a phase of a few generations, I believe going through a process of transitioning or healing the wounds of power hierarchies. And we are more and more growing into competence-based relational hierarchies. Mm -hmm. It's not we are not going into a world without hierarchies, but we are going into a world of competence-based hierarchies. Mm -hmm. that the one of us that has the highest competence in a certain field that is needed right now should be on stage. Mm -hmm. And the others are happy to listen because we know that the water kind of flows down the mountain, like the competence mountain. And I think that's a very natural process. And the more we heal our wounds of power and fear-based hierarchies, we will actually come to a much deeper restoration of relation, a much deeper restoration of the primary uh, attachment process of children with their parents. Because competence-based hierarchies need much higher relational skills, but they are much more um, empowering, bringing out the motivation, the agency, the voice of each and everybody. And so that we really grow into a kind of a human orchestra, the Philharmonie Orchestra, are people that are playing together because they're all motivated and they need to listen to each other in order to really grow into like musical excellence. And I believe that's true for us too. So competence-based relational hierarchies uh, need much more relational investment, but I believe they actually will enable us as a human family or as humanity to be the orchestra that we can be because everybody is naturally motivated and, and creative within that process. So a final question for you, and I don't know if there's anything else you want to say in conclusion, but it's kind of a dark time. I don't know if you feel it like that or not, but I think a lot of people, I know for myself, living so connected to the natural world, those of us who live in my community uh, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, to use a U.S., you know, left, right, whatever, everybody sees the impact of climate change here because we're living so close to the natural world. And it's happening fast. Things are happening very fast. Uh, and so I don't know, I guess I'm, what, what gives you hope? Do you feel hopeful? Maybe what you just said, I know I heard you say when you were talking to Peter Levine, something like, there's something beautiful in store for us. <laughs> Do you think that's true, Thomas? <laughs> yeah, I, I, what is I think, 
first of all, being connected to to the source of life is the only true hope. And then it's not hope, but then it's a kind of like an inner connection to the engine. I would say the engine of life. So that's one ingredient. The other one is that I believe we are seeing like darkness erupt stronger, polarization and climate change and many natural catastrophes. But on the other hand, we're also seeing like a strong impact of a rising consciousness in the world as well that brings up a lot of collective unconscious stuff that we need to digest because the past doesn't disappear. The past needs to be digested. Mm-hmm. If we eat too much, we still need to digest it in a way. So it's like our body needs to take care of the residues and the stuff that is stagnant in order to release itself into health. And we need to support that detox process. So what I'm saying is also that because consciousness is rising, we also see more material being pushed up to the surface. And so I believe it's it's really upon all of us that also climate change is like, I often say we are living in the time of the plagues of Egypt in the Bible. Mm. And what the, what is the metaphorical meaning of those plagues? It says when something is like a whisper, when change is a whisper, it's like, far away and it's kind of like on the horizon something's moving but we hardly barely pay attention to it and then slowly slowly that whisper gets louder and comes closer like in the 10 plagues until it hits the body and then the when it hits the body it's a crisis but for a long time it wasn't a crisis it was a natural invitation to change and i believe the climate crisis is a a stronger and stronger wake-up call for us to re-examine the way we live and the systems that we create that are some of them heavily out of balance. Mm. And I believe it's not that climate change is dark, it's that the tendencies in us as a collective human family need to be re-examined and we have to wake up from some of those structures. And that's also what I meant with the collective trauma structures. We have to wake up from what we have been born into because it's so invisible that the biggest elephant in the room is actually almost, it's impossible to grasp it with our senses. Mm. We can know what happened in the US, what happened in Germany, what happened in China, what happened in Latin America, but it's so hard to feel it because the nature of it is that it's not feelable. And so I believe we are forced right now as a global community to address that with the help of technology, but also with the potential downfall or trap that technology creates. So if technology collaborates with our absence, so it becomes like an addiction or it becomes all kinds of shadow effects. If it collaborates with our unification so it becomes actually a blessing and since we are living in that time where we have that collective externalized brain um, we i think we have to use it in a way that um, 
that we are also doing now, where we get unified, we explore stuff together that is meaningful, that is good for our soul, that unifies us more and creates global learning. And so all of it together, I believe, it's a, like, like every crisis and every difficulty is a teacher. Okay, I have one more thing about this, and this is personal, I guess, but I come from a pretty affluent background, but I, in some ways, I, you know, because I was a girl, I wasn't that privileged myself, but that's another story. But the men in my background, they're kind of the, you know, they're the industrialists, they're the financiers, they're the, they're some of the masters of the universe, you know, out there. And, um, and I'm looking and they're not exactly the same. And I try not to get too political on this podcast, but what the heck, you know, watching what's going on in the United States, which I don't know how much you're paying attention to that, but it's interesting looking at the the people that are objecting right now to Trump's uh, impeachment. They tend to all be white. I don't know if they're all. I think they're all Anglo-Saxon, although I don't can't be sure. White Anglo-Saxon guys with red ties. <laughs> they're all the same, and they're not exactly like the men in my family, but they're sort of like that. And it makes you know. And and so for me, I know I have to separate from that. I've had to separate from that long ago and move into a different sphere. But it does make me sad, and it does make me sad that I think what's so much often behind that is people, it's about holding on to what Rianne Iser calls the dominator trance, wanting to hold on to access to, to money and to resources and to not share in a global community. Mm. So I guess I, I know I'm saying we were ending, and that's sort of a big topic, but maybe there's... I, I'm kind of wanting to release my own sadness about some of those guys because <laughs> I actually love them. And, mm. um, but I'm not so, some of them I love and some of them I'm like, oh my God, get them off the stage. Like I unnamed one person in particular in the United States that I'd like to not have him be getting so much. He's, he's not like a family member, Donald Trump, but I'd like to get him off the stage, but you know. Yeah. I find um, it interesting yeah. how, um, What's the way to be part of uh, fragmentation or splitting? And how we can stay truthful to deeper values and deeper values of usually arise from deeper interconnectedness with everything and caring and compassion and love. And so how can we stay true to what we feel deeply in our soul is right like is in sync with life or is ethically kind of sound and at the same time not fall into the trap of becoming part of the transference of fragmentation or splitting mm -hmm. and i think that's a that's a especially if you say like also in the mediation world i think that's um, a deep human challenge i believe because sometimes it's so easy to buy into some very obvious splits or, you know, trains that we could jump on. And so I think that's a, a deep inner mediation also. How did I, did I feel how I'm getting sucked into like a symptom and how to be able to make a step back, maybe clarify my own life or process. And then, come back in a in a more whole version and especially as you said you needed to make a step back from your family 
you said you needed to clarify your own values so you you healed yourself to a certain degree and then what's the integration like what's this the synthesis that can happen through you because i believe that every level of development uh, when we go to the next level of development it's a bigger version that includes the former level of development Mm. And then it's a bigger version that includes the former levels of development. Mm. And like this, we are building bigger and bigger systems. But then the intelligence of the growth gets channeled through all the former levels of development. And so I think that we need some often some time to really cultivate our own path, to detox ourselves, to get synchronized, whatever purpose in life or soul's mission or intelligence. But then how can we step forward into relation? And sometimes that's, that's I think, the harder part, to step into relation and not shut the door. Because once we shut the door, we shut the intelligence flow. Mm. But that doesn't mean that we are not confrontational or clear. It's different. Shutting the door or being very clear are two different things. And I think that's an interesting edge for many, for many of us, I believe, yeah. our whole life. Yeah, I keep trying and I, I do notice that many of the men in my family want uh, read my blog posts for this podcast. So I, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Anyway, Thomas, you know, I really thank you for your time. Is, I, did you write a book on collective trauma? Is it? Yes, it will, it will be published next fall. Uh, okay, so it hasn't come out yet. I was looking for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's it's in the publishing process, so it will wonderful be published in the fall. Yeah, wonderful. Anything you want to say to say goodbye? No, thank you for having me, and thank you for having this dialogue. And I hope it's a contribution to you and your this or now our listeners. And so, yeah, thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for the work you're doing. It's um, uplifting. And one of the benefits I get from doing this podcast is I get to tune in to some really uh, beautiful people. And it's been fun tuning into you as I get ready to do this. So thank you a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please leave a comment on our blog on our website. Write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. They really help. And check out more about Thomas. You can get all of those details at susancoleman.global. And please join us again on the Peace Building Podcast. Mm-hmm.